Hi, this is Ryan Bloom. On today's episode of the Fireside Chat, I have the incredible opportunity to speak with Allison Pickhart, really, really funky, cool, progressive designer. And we're going to talk about her experience, her education in interior design, what drew her into design at the very beginning, and how working in a very cool retail shop led her to her first major design project in, of all places, Paris. We're going to talk about evolution from Paris to living and working in Chicago, her visit to Montreal, my hometown, and a city that we both happen to love, and really get her perspective on what her clients today are looking for as it relates to bold pieces of art and color and light and how she is seeing merging with the outdoors to create overall space. Enjoy the episode. How are you? How are things going? I know you're in California. I know beyond... uh, COVID and, and other major uh, issues that California has been dealing with. The fires I've been watching have been just catastrophic. How, how is everyone around you safe? Tell me what's going on in, in, in your world. Well, everyone around me is safe, um, but we're very close to the fires in um, wine country. And I think that this, you know, the last couple of years have been so difficult with the fires, um, but they were in a way like you could reason as to why they were happening, you know, like human error, you know, PG and E, like all of these like reasons and the storm that happened at the end of August, that the epic, you know, hundred year lightning storm that really lit the state on fire. Um, I think that's put everyone just on edge because there's really no guarantee of safety, which is a very interesting way to feel. You know, you you work so hard in your life to like provide a home for your children and a safe place to be. And then all of a sudden it's really, you know, thrown to mother nature, you know, to see like it, it, could, it could have lit our neighborhood on fire just as easily as it lit Point Reyes on fire. So I think that, you know, the last month has been really um, challenging with the smoke and, you know, Nobody wants to see a coffer or trouble breathing or anything like just in the era of coronavirus. But, you know, you have like such poor air quality that it really has like, you know, there are days where you can feel just like how rashed out your throat is and how difficult it is to get clean air. So it's um, been interesting. I definitely kind of like lost my mind one day when um, the power went out and the pool cover had been closed on our property and it was this out of body experience because I wasn't mad that I wasn't going to be able to like swim later that evening or like cool down because it was 110 degrees. I was mad because in the event of like a fire or like a huge crazy scenario, like the pool is actually a a place in which we would be able to save ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so when you start thinking about like, oh my God, do I have to like take my kids and my dog and my husband and submerge myself in the pool to like, you know, you hear these stories about these firestorms and you're just like, whoa, like we've really kind of entered a new, new dynamic of, Mm -hmm. you know, just living. Like it's really quite fascinating. It is. Remarkably so. I, I was in, I mean, I, before, before COVID, I was traveling to California every month or two maximum. Um, first of all, I love coming. I used to live in California. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the, 
a, a major concentration of our of our business and our dealer partners are covering now California. Um, and I was there for the West Edge Design Fair in Santa Monica last October, and there yeah. were major fires happening then. I remember being up in the hills and and you know seeing some properties and you know seeing the smoke and the helicopters coming to drop the you know drop water and they were filling from people's pools. It was the first time I'd ever seen it sort of right just right in front of me and it seems yeah. like beyond controlling that and this there hasn't been a lot of a, a lot of downtime so i i empathize with yeah. the, the additional strain that that puts on people and, and and their families well i think everyone is really like existing in this just like heightened stress level yeah um to everything and there's no like there's nowhere to turn to like turn it off you know, so it's like, okay, fine, I won't watch the news, but you know, like I can't go outside and take a walk because it, anyway, neither here nor there, there's silver linings everywhere. And yes, you know, that is true. lots of studies about like the environment, environmental impact of like, we need to be burning. Like there's just like a natural course of yes. things, but yeah, 2020 has been a real, oh boy. Wow. You know, wow I mean, indeed. wow. But now let's yeah. talk about some yeah. of the good stuff that happened to you because you, you to your to your to your point there's silver lining and everything. Mm -hmm. I'd love to. I, I read your bio on your site. I've done some homework, but I know you went to school in Ohio and did you know additional design um, uh, graduate work in in Chicago. And I want to talk to you about Chicago. Um, tell me a little bit about yourself, your firm, what 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 inspired you to get into design. I, tell me the, tell me a little bit about, about your story. Yeah. Well, I think that um, to begin with, like I have just always had like a really, like a, a predisposition to my environment. Like, and I don't know if that's like an OCD thing. Now we've got that label that, which we didn't have when I was a kid growing up, but it was always really important for me to rearrange things or if something was out of place it was like i just knew it was out of place and like my mom was constantly like oh boy like what now <laughs> and so i think that like going to school like i was never like an academic person um i was far more like art and social and mm -hmm. musical theater and like all of that stuff and it's interesting again like i said about um you know the, the labels that we have now for people like me or like someone else who might have a different way of learning or processing information is very different today than it was when I was growing up. And so to be totally honest, like I kind of had like a slightly lackluster, you know, in the shadow of my magna cum laude straight A sister academic experience. And so when it came to really like pursuing the arts and like being scrappy and figuring things out. Like I always just gravitated towards interiors and like making things beautiful or making things work better. And when I was in college, I lived in this house um, with 10 girls and it had all disgusting furniture that had been there forever. And my best friend from childhood had gotten a job as a bookkeeper at this little interior design firm in Dayton. And she knows me like, you know, like a best friend would. And she 
te- like she, te- whatever, texted, I don't even know, like talking one night, she was like, you know, Al, they really need help, like, it, like with some of their stuff and they all this fabric by the yard for sale in this particular studio. And she's like, they really need help. You should come. And so I went and they like hired me on the spot. And that's where I started really learning the craft of design only because they were so overwhelmed with work that they would just send me to these houses. And for me, it was really interesting because where the University of Dayton, Ohio is, is right adjacent to this neighborhood, Oakwood, which is where all of the old NCR executives um, used to live. And so there were these grand, beautiful, you know, masonry, like beautiful homes, as you find in the, on the East Coast and in the Midwest, um, you know, thousands of square feet and like proper entry foyers and like all of these things. And I think like being able to be let inside of that world and then to like learn about the people who we were going to be working with was like so fascinating to me. It was like, I couldn't even believe that this woman with this small child in this house and that like what, you know, and so I think like the psychology of it became really fascinating to me. But again, because I feel like I've always learned in a different way or processed information in a different way, it was really easy for me to slide into like drafting and like drawing and like applying the things that I had always like gravitated towards as a student into like a way more like mathematic and like engineering kind of application. It's interesting. But very far outside of the textbook. But interesting you say that because, you know, people are, sometimes education can crush inspiration and sometimes inspiration can, you know, crush education. It's very, how did you find that? Because you came at it with, let's call it an innate sense or a, or a, uh, a personal connection to, as you said, space moving things. And it was just, as you were talking, I I used to rearrange my room all the time. I yeah. used to, and I was, you know, I, uh, the, the main activities I did were basically Lego and building forts yes. outside these crazy things, whether it was in the yes. snow with like these, you know, the, these pockets for snowballs and all like, I, I, I used to spend hours and hours building spaces, yes. but I, imagine I, oh, if I would have gone, if I would have gone to school with a professor and rulers and measurements and formulas for me. I think that would have crushed. It would have been yeah, you would have too much. How did you, how did you deal with that? Or how did that? Well, so, so this was really, this is really fascinating because my brothers, so I have an older sister and two younger brothers. My brothers are these like math wizards. And my, my youngest brother, if you give him like 900,562 divided by 63 and a half, like faster than a calculator. He can do that in his brain, which is fascinating and a great party trick, but he doesn't do it anymore because we really exhausted that. But at the dinner table, they would always like talk about math stuff and they would like cut and lovingly because I mean, I come from a very supportive family, but at the time they would kind of make fun of the fact that like Allison's not math. She's not very math oriented. Like don't, don't you guys don't talk about that at the dinner table. Cause like, you know, there are people at the table who really like are not, you know, ma- they're not math people. 
And so you start having this like narrative about who you are and what you can do in your world. And what I have found so fascinating and interesting side note is I have a bunch of clients who have kids who learn in different ways and I can kind of like see them. I like, I'm like, Oh, I recognize you. I'm like, you come on over here. Like I'm going to stick you under my wing and I'm going to show, you know, like it's, it's a really kind of recognizable thing. But what I have found in my career is that I am like the mathiest math person of all math people. (laughs) And it's like how you, apply it and how you actually can think through like there's so much about problem solving that we have to deal with as designers um if you're good you know like if you're if you're worth your your salt you're gonna solve that problem and usually that problem gets solved through some version and some part of the math world which i find fascinating and you can see that kind of play out in pattern in ratios of what makes like a, a light fixture work in a room or you know a, a pool to be the right size in a landscape or you know you see ratios all the time and you see all of these different things that really drive you back home to say like wow like I great at math <laughs> And then, you know, couple that with running an actual design firm and really understanding like the math of how can you be profitable? How can you stay in business with this work that we do? Like that's a whole other piece of the puzzle that, you know, I think that I've been very fortunate to have really good support around me in terms of like, how do we move things forward but as a creative that's not necessarily your jam you know like you're there to bring beauty and leave the (laughs) leave the rest to someone else so anyway in Dayton I got my start and I taught myself how to draft and I started having um access to the things that the designers were using in the studio and putting together my own presentation and it was a very like safe space because I don't think anybody really expected anything from me you know, and one of the things that I love um, about what we, well, early in days was figuring things out. So like, how is that sconce wired? How is that chair upholstered? And so back to what I was saying before, we had this house full of just nasty, gross, dirty furniture. And one Friday afternoon, the owner of the shop said, you know, I was talking about it. I'm like, I really, I really think that I could like, I could sew, like I know how to sew from my mom and I know how to do certain things. I really want to reupholster the sofa. And my boss gave me this bolt of like 24 yards of, and it was like a, a child's print. It was literally like a graphic, like animal primary color. He's like, I have this bolt. Nobody's going to buy it. Like if you want it, see what you can do with it. I took it home to our house on that Friday night and like all the girls were like getting ready to go out and like hit the clubs. And I was like, see you later. I got a project. And I literally like sequestered myself in the basement and I reupholstered that sectional sofa and I pulled it apart and I figured out how it worked and I made the self welt and it was the ugliest thing because of the fabric, but it was literally like, I was like a woman possessed. I was like, I will get this done. And by the time everybody came back from the bar at like 3 a.m., I was like sweaty and like bleeding. (laughs) 
And they were like, wow, thanks. That looks great. <laughs> Funny you mentioned that, you know, if I look back sometimes at the pictures of the first outdoor kitchens, my partner Stefan and I ever designed and built. And it's like, it took us four and a half months to finish it. And like, still like, you're right. Those first ones, but that's like the boot camp. Yeah. You get through that sweaty and bleeding and still inspired, you know, you've got something. So I want to ask you about this. I, I read, um, I read in your bio that you'd spent time in Europe and I would love to know, first of all, where and what the experience was like. And I'll, I'll group this into a bit of a, a, a couple of questions so you can come at it. Um, have you ever been to Montreal? Yes, I have. Um, then I really want to hear about your experience in Chicago, one of my favorite cities uh, from an architecture and design perspective. Still today, every time I go, I don't have the words for what I'm seeing. Um, right. And somewhere that I lived for a year and a half and really uh, embraced and loved. So in no well, particular, tell me about those, those three things. Okay. So when I, so I graduated from college and I interviewed in Chicago at like the normal places in which a person who graduated with a communications degree in the Midwest would interview, you know, like the ad agencies, Foot Cone and Belding and J. Walter Thompson. And I went to these like giant glass buildings and I was like, this is a beautiful office, not for me. And it was wild because I wound up getting in a taxi on my way, like to back to my sister's house, which is where I was staying um, while I interviewed. And it was a super hot day. And my taxi cab broke down right in front of a little design studio in Wrigleyville. And I just walked in and I said, I can, I would love to work here. And the owner said, well, I can barely give you minimum wage and like, 12 hours a week. And I was like, done. And he said, but I'll give you commission on everything you sell. And I said, done. I'm, <laughs> I'm in. So that is where I started my like, like career in Chicago. Well, I was there about 18 months, which was extremely formative. And I, because it had a retail component to it, I, I stood on that retail floor. And because I was only getting really paid on anything I sold, I stood there on all of the off hour shifts in the evening and on the weekends. And I met the most fascinating people just walking by. And it was interesting because people would come, like come in because they were interested in like a lamp or like a pillow that they saw. And then all of a sudden they became my, my clients. And I still have some of them to this day, which is crazy because that was literally like 20 years ago. Anywho, I wound up leaving that job about 18 months after I started and, you know, I, I left on, you know, all good. And I went to work at a showroom in the merchandise mart mm. um, to Eprenich and Associates, which I don't think is any longer, but um, it was a fascinating experience to learn about um, sales and the manufacturing side and like, who are the vendors and who are the designers that the sales associates like see on caller ID and like rush off to their like lunch break and who are the ones that they dive for the phone because they know it's going to be like a worthwhile experience. So like that was really, really great in understanding that, but working in the showroom was definitely not for me. Like I definitely needed to be out. Well, one of my clients who I had met, in my previous employment called me um, at my job 
And because I had not left with any, you know, indication of where I was going, he it was this really gruff kind of guy. And I pick up the phone and I'm like, hello, to Prenton Associates, how may I help you? And he's like, I found you. And I'm like, what? And he's like, who is this? I'm like, who is this? And he's like, um, I bought a, a place in Paris. You're coming with me in 10 days. He literally was like, and I was like, again, who is, who is this? And he's like, you're not meant, he, he said, he goes, I found out where you were. You're not meant for this job. I have something that I'd like you to do and wow. you're going to do it. And I literally hung up the phone and I'm like, well, that doesn't sound too bad. It's like decorating his apartment in Paris. Um, so I, I like hung up the phone and I walked over to my boss, Megan, and I said, funny thing, I just got this phone call and I think that means that I need to quit. I need to leave this job in order to do that. And she looked at me with this smile on her face and she was like, girl, you ride that wave. <laughs> ride it as far as it will take you. And so that apartment in Paris was the first project that I did in Europe. And it was very scrappy. We went for, you know, we left 10 days later and we were there for, I think a total of like two and a half weeks. And it wasn't a big space. It was like a, you know, classic one bedroom in the sixth. And it literally, like we furnished it by everything that we could find that we could take away with us. And he had, you know, the building had its own kind of maintenance and crew that was able to handle electrical and painting. So that really wasn't in my scope. So it was really a matter of just like, getting the job done. I remember I had like bought a new pair of boots in order to go and they were like beautiful and they had a leather sole. And by the time I left Paris, they had this giant crack across like the ball of my foot. Cause we just logged like a thousand miles. Sure. But since then, one of my, um, one of my projects was, um, uh, a flat in Knightsbridge for Chevron. It was their, um, their head of Europe and Eurasia's home. He um, had taken that post. He was one of my clients in Chicago. And when they landed at the Chevron house, they had been totally design spoiled. And so, you know, it was interesting the way that he looked at it because he, he said, you know, I'm taking on this new role and I want this role to be more than just me i want to say to like the world like you know when we're entertaining people from different countries and from different stations and expats we want them we want this home to feel like their home as well and so how can we do that and it was it was a really exciting project because we wound up um doing the whole thing from the states and we consolidated a, a huge container of everything they needed from bath towels and entry mats to furniture and lighting and everything was just like tagged and packaged and logged into these like, you know, installation guidebooks so that when it came off of the container and it was installed, it was literally like a house in a box. Wow. And that was, um, that was a super fun project. It was like six bedrooms and, you know, entertainment rooms and grand foyers. It was really wonderful. And then most recently we've been working on, um, Chateau Marymange in um, Pomard, which is a California couple who have purchased this winery and um, chateau, pair of chateau. One is the um, 
one is the operational vineyard and tasting room and the business and the other is where they um, will reside which is really more of like how do we filter the information through um, the lens of like dealing with a general contractor that may not speak the language or may not you know it's just a very it's a very different process of design it, when you have kind of like this the you know like the disconnect of language oh. and even even back to the math you know like when you're trying to work through a project in metric versus you know how are centimeters and inches you know it's very it's sure. very different so very much so anyway. weights everything in kilogram i mean it's it's a yes yes system, for sure yeah and then also it's like just the work the workflow you know like taking the summers off and like well, they're only available during these months and this yeah. you know it's like in america you know i feel like here we just like jam and it's like go 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 yep. and there it's very much more leisurely completely which, yeah. different pace and culture yeah. and that's just everywhere and you're absolutely right that that's so funny that montreal seems to be the best example of a hybrid between what you just described in a European sort of experience with a very strong or in many cases dominant undertow of that traditional North American go, 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 let's go, go, go sort of thing. So we right. really live in that kind of hybrid aspect of things here. Tell me about, because Montreal, again, I'm biased because I'm from here and I, and I love Montreal. Um, but I hear from almost any person who visits, you know, there are people who will visit uh, any city I'll, and without uh, picking on an example, most people who go to New York and the odd person says too loud, too dirty, too busy, not for me. I don't know anyone who's come to Montreal that I've ever spoken to who said it was lousy. The people weren't nice. The restaurants weren't amazing. The design and the art and the architecture wasn't spectacular it just seems to be one of those places like san francisco in many ways that everyone who goes seems to just love it yes tell me about your experience in montreal well we st okay so it, God, it probably would have been oh my gosh this might have been even before we had kids but um my husband used to um run a really a, a, a quite sizable um, general contracting and development firm that worked globally. And um, one of his manuf um, fixture manufacturers was in Montreal. And um, so he, we were invited to go to his home and visit. It was like a site that it was like a, um, like a workroom visit. Well, it was, and you know, it's funny that you're like comparing it to San Francisco and stuff because I'm like, I kind of, if I'm remembering this correctly, it was very like Midwestern in its feel with the people. Like people were so kind and very like just the hospitality and the, you know, what the pride in what they were doing was so significant um, and so apparent. And we kind of, it was, it was interesting because it was one of those where like we'd been invited to tour the facilities of this manufacturer and then have dinner at their home afterwards. And it literally was the most spectacular work facility. I remember being so impressed by just the professionalism and the scale in which they were doing their work. And 
the, like the cleanliness and just like how tight everything was in terms of like, this is where we are doing this package of millwork that you just paid, you know, $3 million for that's going to New York in a Times Square flagship or something, you know, it was like very, very much like they wanted to show the work that they were doing and like how they did it, which, you know, comparatively, like they're few and far between to find manufacturing, well, then manufacturing facilities that were really running in that kind of, at that level. And then the dinner that they, so then we go back to our hotel, which was lovely. And I remember we just like kind of walked around the streets and everything was very clean. Mm. Everything was very like, very like put together if I remember correctly. And he, you know, had sent a car for us, which also we were kind of like, Hmm, like we, could have gotten ourselves there and he, he like took us like to his mountain home which to this day I like go back to the architecture of what he had done in his home and it was this beautiful beautiful mountain home there was not a nail head to be seen everything was fit together he had like you know quarried the the stone for his fireplace like in his library from like the face of Mount Tremblay or, you know, I mean, it was like the, st- and like his library was like literally like each book was category. I mean, it was spectacular and his family was all present. So it was my husband and I, and it was he and his wife and his two children. And we had the loveliest dinner and got to see this, magnificent home. And I remember walking through it and, you know, that's a while ago now. And I said, Oh, Sal, like, where is this going to be published? Like, I can't wait to see this published. And he said, Oh no, it it will not be published. And this is for me. This is for us. This is not for, this is not for consumption. And that was also a fascinating perspective for me because I think that like in America, we're so focused on well, and I guess it's like globally now, but, you know, we're all so focused on consuming and seeing the new and the latest and like, what level of work are you doing? And what have you just completed? And where's the content? Where's the content? And, you know, I thought it was so amazing to have this visit and really see this gentleman be doing it for literally no other reason than the love and like obsession with design. And then what we learned from that trip was literally like, he is the total package, you know, like what he's doing in his business is not isolated in his business. It is how he lives his life. And that was such an amazing lesson on like, that's how all your vendors should be. And I think that we look at our manufacturing partners and our vendors, and that really guides us. Like, are you finding joy in what it is that you're doing? And are the people that you're working with, are they finding joy in it too? Because without that and without that passion for like believing in the company that you work for, what you're doing or the just clear like grit of wanting to manufacture something amazing without that, like the product is subpar. Mm -hmm. And so when we look to really create beautiful environments, you know, that really does weigh in on like, who are you as a business and who are you as a person? You're right. Wow. That's a very, very observant, you know, I've spent a huge amount of my time living outside of Quebec now that I've been back for the last, uh, coming up on 10 years, uh, before I founded urban bonfire. 
And I've realized over time there are very small but distinct cultural nuances, again, without trying to generalize. Quebecers, in many cases, even incredibly successful ones, seem to have a more conservative and guarded approach to it being private and not yes. wanting to sort of flash it. it we're a much more uh, conservative in that way culturally in, in many ways, which is very yeah. interesting because we're also very progressive as it relates to design and creativity. Look at things like Cirque du Soleil and all these incredible companies that, that are, that come from here. Um, it's really interesting. We had, we were walking through the house at one point, like after dinner and his wife and I were like, just, you know, she was showing me like, Oh, this beautiful light fixture, this, that, and the other thing. And I was kind of walking through and I was like, okay, we're in Canada. Like what showroom do you, like what showrooms are you working with to like source all of these things? <clears throat> and she looked at me, she was like, showroom. <laughs> She's like, Oh no, the, that, like, that's, that's the original. <laughs> like, and then she like went into this, like, and, and again, this is, you know, tw like almost probably 15 years ago now. And it was, she went into this whole explanation of how while building the house, they have this team of curators, these like experts in antiquities and like, like curing, culling the globe for all of the things and the pieces that would ultimately go into the house. And I, I think that like as a design journey, you know, you don't just like wake up one day and think like, Oh, like if you're successful, you have like the money to do it. You hire, you know, the experts to like find your antiquities and bring them, you know, it's, it's almost like that, that dinner was watershed in a way. Cause I was like, Oh, you can do that. And then it really kind of, you know, like this, industry is so fascinating because like if you can imagine it you can do it and so it's also one of the humbling parts of being a part of this industry is like no matter how awesome you might think that you are or how great a project is that you just finished you might just be like pushing through to the next level but once you get up to that next level you look around and you're like oh geez like we're <laughs> Oh, now we're in a new league. Like we got a whole new set of things we got to learn, you know? So yeah. I think that that's one really fascinating thing about this industry is that you, you are constantly being challenged. And if you are uh, like, if you are open to constantly be learning, then you will never reach the ceiling of what is possible in design. And so I think that that's one of the key tenets that I live by. It's like, oh, don't get too ahead of yourself. Like, no matter what you've done, like, just learn from it, like, be proud of it, but also, like, understand that there's so much more to learn by just being open to it. I, so. I agree. And, and, and as I was... As I was um, researching before before our time today, I spent time on your on your website. I spent time on your Instagram. And I, I read some of the articles about you. I read the article from uh, California Home and Design, where you know just isolating one kind of project, but really really focusing on a couple of areas. I had the anecdote about how, you know, I think it was the wallpaper you'd chosen for the the powder room and your client wanting to say, this is, this needs a bigger canvas. So let's go and, and sort of put it in the study. Um, right. 
and then even looking at the your 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 use and bringing in uh, light sculptures, for example, um, is Niambari, if I'm pronouncing it correctly. Yeah. Um, so the reason why, I, and I want to ask this because a obviously your taste and your aesthetic is is bold, and obviously, so I want to understand or learn from you. How do you manage? client reaction to those things that can often be like wow factor or make them nervous or I'm not really sure. And at the same time, what I have seen often is that interior designers want to be very protective of what they create in a way that, you know, you can't patent it necessarily, but they want to have this very, um, this was custom for this client. I put my stamp on it and I feel like, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but you have an entire e-commerce platform where you are not holding it tight. You're actually trying to share it with the world. And you've merged into this whole idea of making your, making your elements available on, on an e-com platform. So help me understand how this whole, came to, how this whole thing sort of evolved and, and came to be. Well, I think um, hmm, that's a good question. I think that one of the things that is like a double-edged sword is if I if I look at my own portfolio of work, I I don't necessarily see a consistent pattern. Where like right now when you kind of consume designers, like you can be like, oh, that's so and so, that's so and so, that's so and so. And over the last like few years, like it's almost like been an insecurity in a way. I'm like, oh, like, but I don't have like a trademark look. And the more I thought about that and sat with that, it was kind of like, well, it's not my house either. You know, like I really do believe that like what what I do is more of like a conduit to who you are. Like it is like and I think about this, I think also like as a, like maybe like highly empathetic person, like if I meet you for like five minutes, I kind of immediately know like what your deal is. You know, not like, I don't know everything about God, like God forbid, but I kind of understand like what, what, what you need in this house. And so I think that every house definitely looks different, but I also believe like that as a designer who has like lived through the mass market bell curve, you know, like when I started, there wasn't a pottery barn or a restoration hardware. It was like your local interior design studio or your furniture store. Like that's how you got furniture. And so when all of those mass commerce sites became available for consumption, I realized that like I was going to be really soon out of a job if I didn't differentiate for the projects that we were working on. And so that led me to this kind of like constant search for like, what is the cool new thing and how can we like interpret it in a different way? And, you know, for example, that particular project, she is a part of the tech world. She's in San Francisco. She's hip. She's lovely. She's an entertainer. She, you know, it was like all of these things living in this like totally classic high ceiling co-op penthouse in the city. So there's like a certain homage you have to give to the fact that this is like, we're not going to tear off all of that beautiful original molding, but how do we make it feel like a young 
person who is hip and cool and like entertains, but is classic and totally, you know, chic. How do we, how do we interpret that? And so it became a matter of like lacquering all those walls white so that the millwork just became like the shadow lines and the neon very light sculptures where there are two of them became like this dialogue between the dining room and the living room, which then kind of made those two spaces one rather than having like a totally, you know, one vibe in the dining room and one vibe in the living room. It was like her, her program was like, I host lots of people. I host them for card parties. I host them for dinner parties for, you know, philanthropic events, like all of these things. So it was like, that became like the program of like, how do we look at these two spaces in a very classic building in a very new way? Um, also, it's like, if you're not bringing the idea that's new and fresh to your client, then you're not doing your job. And so I think too, like, there's a certain amount of like humor and like casualness that gets brought to the table as well. Like, for example, it could go something like this. So um, I have this great idea to put these two light sculptures in your living room. They are extraordinarily expensive and they will take about a year to get, but they are perfect. And I think that you need to have them. <laughs> and it's kind of one of those things where it's like, okay, show me the picture. Okay, wait, talk to me a little bit. But there's always this room for like, if you say no, my world is not going to crush and end in a pile of dust. Like, but I will have, I will know that I have offered you the best possible option for innovation or something cool and new and unique to your space. So I think that that's like really, really important is always allowing the door to be open and understanding that your perspective is not the same as your client's perspective. So where like in my world right now, like that's not my reality. Like light sculptures in my like penthouse in Pacific Heights, like that is not my reality. But far be it for me to prevent that reality to someone else who's searching out something great and wonderful. And I think that's where for me, when we, go into projects it's very much putting aside like my ego or my like sensibility and becoming like truly the guide and and kind of like the i don't know if this is the right word but like the the empath it's like what is in you like we have clients right now who are like oh like I don't know anything about design and you do it and it's just not my thing and I can't do anything without asking you and I laugh all the time because I'm like that's like the farthest thing from the truth you guys are like the chicest people I know you're very cool you're extreme sports you're fashionable you know it's like you're all of these things and so your house is actually a reflection of that and we did this like crazy like rhino sculpture in their living room and a mahogany ping pong table in their dining room and it's like that's them you know like that's how we like channel through as like really giving like the environment that is best suited for the person in which we are designing for I, so I want to. I, I want to. I want to touch. I want to touch on that for a second. You made a very, very interesting um, anecdote or comment a few minutes ago, where you talked about this in in the project in San Francisco, how the living room and dining room through the light sculptures 
were quote unquote speaking to one another. There was an alignment in terms of space. Right. I'm curious to get your perspective on outdoor space activation. And yes. I've again spent time on your Instagram and your site, and I see you have some, you know, some exquisite pictures of outdoor environments. So I'd like to know, A, you know, are you seeing a shift or a change in clients' prioritization, investment in, uh, demands of you, um, in thinking about the outdoor space differently than they might have five or 10 years ago? And if so, what are you seeing as trends or what is necessary to, in the same way as you describe the the relationship between living room and dining room in terms of entertaining, what is that same relationship between living room, dining room, kitchen, and an outdoor space that is typically a hybrid, pulls a little piece of lounge, a little piece of kitchen, a little piece of, how are you weaving that into your world? So landscape is so incredibly important. Even if you don't have like some big landscape, mm -hmm. you can't just live in this like cocoon. Like we put windows in our projects for a reason. Like there's, there's something to be celebrated outside of every space. And so that is an integral part of everything we do in design. And so first I will tell you that with shelter in place and with the last, you know, six months of quarantining and being in our homes, we are seeing more people here in California, like needing a pool yesterday. And it's like, it's really funny. Cause I'm like, Oh man, like I really, I really wouldn't mind like a couple just plain decorating projects. That would be great. But right now I'm like, we are literally getting slammed with these master planning projects of how do we add a pool? How do we add the fire pit area? How do we open up this basement that's like a dark, dreary bedroom to be more of, you know, like, what do we do? And so I think that um, in California in particular, like the idea of landscape is always part of the conversation, but more so since sheltering in place where people couldn't go to their tennis club or their pool club or their whatever. It's like, okay, now I need all of that stuff here outside of my front door. So we are definitely seeing a surge in that. Um, when I take on a master planning project, I think about um, the, it's not just how the how it's going to look but how is this going to be experienced and so everything matters in terms of how does the driveway function can you turn around in your car and nose out if you had a party can you have a valet can you like what are these things that we can um, start like thinking about in terms of the experience of the design. And for example, there is like a, a very large infinity pool that is on my Instagram that you have likely seen. And that project started <clears throat> from the inside of the house and the, the doors, it was a terrible McMansion when they bought it, but it has this insane view. And so they, they thought they bought the house and they were like, Oh, Allison can fix anything. Like she, she can solve this problem. And I remember being like, Oh guys, like this is going to be a lot of work. And it started with the front door. The front door was literally seven inches off center to this foyer living room exterior view. 
And it was this one moment where I stood with my client and I'm like, listen, like, come here, let me show you what I'm talking about. If you stand with your back to the center line, what we should be seeing is beautiful foyer, step down into the living room, French doors open to terrace. And from standing with your back on this front door, you should see a slice of water before you see the horizon. And it was like this moment where he literally, and it was funny because he's like, and I've done like three projects for the man. And he's like, oh God, well now it can't be any other way. And so it really is this idea of your, like, and this is what kind of kills me because we do work with a lot of architects and engineers who think about things in a very different way and you need them nonetheless. But sometimes I'll get like, but it has to be like this. And they'll be like, oh, you're being so difficult. And I'm like, but it's not because once we install this and you see like the magic of what a sight line that is originating from the inside of the house to the exterior of the house and beyond for miles and miles, it's like, that is the magic. That is what, takes it to the next level. And so I think that when we go onto a property, the things that I'm always looking at are like the surrounding. I'm like, okay, what do we have here? Like, what do we have here? And then talking about like, where are you spending your time in the house? For sure, the kitchen, the dining room, not so much, but a, a fancy dynamic dining room is never amiss, you know? And then also like, how are we entertaining in this space? How are we receiving people? How are we being a family of four versus a party of 40, you know? And, and does it feel any, like, would you function any differently for the two different sizes of groups? The answer should be no, because all of the spaces should be in line with one another. And the ratio should be in line with the house and the spaces should unfold onto each other because especially in California, like your living room and what is just outside the doors of that living room are one and the same, you know, like they, they absolutely are a part of the dynamic. So what is your upholstery? What are your finishes? What are the, is it metal versus wood on the, you know, I mean, like it really, like to not think about that in a complete and total holistic bubble is missing the ball completely because and then you like finish the house and you're like, Oh geez, there's like a half acre over here behind the fireplace. We didn't even think about it. And it's like, no, like landscape needs to be like equal to like what you're doing when you are thinking about planning a house and looking at what's involved on the property. I get real excited about that. <laughs> Rightfully really so. What, what are, have you seen a change in client requests, expectations, um, how much they dream mood board, get inspired about outdoor spaces in the last five or 10 years? Are you, are you seeing a shift in what the, what the realm of possibility can be and are there enough products, materials, suppliers, interesting uh, things that you work with that you can effectively curate and design the outdoor space without feeling like you've had to compromise on either the design and aesthetic or the quality functionality? First of all, yes to that right. question. That's, well, that's so good news. 
one of the things that's amazing is like the textiles that are now available to use outside and just like the different materials that are now rated for outdoor use or modified for outdoor use. So yes, in the last like five to 10 years, I see a lot more available product, but I don't necessarily see like, it's not really like a time or a trend that indicates like the excitement level of a project. I think that if you are, sh okay, so the infinity pool client that is on Instagram, they had no predisposition to design whatsoever. Like they were just like, like it's a sofa, it's a sofa, it's gray, it's blue. Like we don't like when I met them, that is how they were. They have over the last 15 years become the most design obsessed people that I know. I mean, they're literally my favorite people because of that, <laughs> no, and because they're lovely. But what I have noticed is that if you show someone something that they love or that inspires them, there really is no, like, there's no ceiling to what they will do to get that. And it's interesting because this particular client has never given me a budget. And it's not to say that they like don't have a threshold of spending, but we've also like hit, you know, like butted heads at certain points during projects on like, you know, that thing is too expensive, Allison. And I'd say, well, I'm happy to find you another one. And they'd say, but we love that one, you know, and it's really funny. And I'd be like, just give me a budget and I will put the thing together and everybody will be happy and it'll be great. And they literally had this come to Jesus in project three, by the way. And they were like, but if we give you a budget, then you might not show us the thing that we need to have. Mm. which is a really interesting, I found that so profound because again, as lovers of design and as, you know, we all come together and it's, and it's when, when it's a great team and it's a great energy on a project, it's like, it should be fun. In no way at this level should design not be fun. And so it was very profound when they said that. And I was like, okay, okay. Like I, I, I read you loud and clear. And that was like the challenge. It was like, okay, like show them the thing. And conversely on that, you know, I will have like young people in my office who will be so afraid to show me something. And I'll be like, can you please pull like the thing and the thing and the thing? And then they're like, oh, I don't want to show you. And I remember having like a, um, a review with a gal in my office. And I was like, okay, I feel like I've asked you a couple times to show me something. And you know, you haven't. And so I've reflected on this and I think that you're just nervous to show me because you're worried I'm not going to like it. And she was like, well, yeah, like I, you're not, if you don't like it, then that'll be a bummer. And I'm like, of course I'm not going to like it. I'm not going to like like 99 of the hundred things you show me, but that's part of our job too. That can't like, that can't break your heart. That can't set your day like a miss. It's just feedback. And as designers, it's like you are, you do not have ESP. So when I go to a project or a client, like I actually don't know what they're thinking. Like I have a good sense and intuition, but like they can say no to me. And the minute they do, it's like, okay, on to the next. Or they may, or they may not even have the vocabulary and the language to even 
describe in their mind. Exactly, like, you know, body language, you know? and it's just like, ooh, and then you're like, woof, fold that one up, like never to be seen again. And it's just this like constant, you know, dialogue. And I kind of forgot what the question was. I feel like I just got off um, on a tangent, all, I, but I do think that. I, I love hearing it. I, I was asking you, um, have you had both, you know, what have you seen in terms of client requests yeah, or yes, in terms okay. of, you know, and the basic one is, you know, I hear all the time, uh, you know, now I can get a TV outdoors and I can watch the football game. That's on a very oh, micro level on a more, no. you know, people are doing whole kitchens, urban gardens, yes. uh, outdoor showers. Uh, yes. I mean, you name it. Absolutely. So we, so this is very interesting because now essentially you can have indoor rooms outside, yes. which is amazing if you live in California, not so great if you live in Wisconsin, but you have the ability now with technology and things to have whatever you want outside. Mm -hmm. Great. We get, like, we get challenged a lot with exactly that. Like, okay, well we want to watch movies while we're floating in our pool. Awesome. Let's recess a screen that rises beyond the infinity edge and the projector is going to like live up in the balcony on the second floor of the house. And they, like, so then you start like getting like really geeked out in terms of design. We had a client one time want a dance floor on his like 50 foot pool. Mm -hmm. And I remember being like, Oh God. Okay. This was a lot of problems. Like, how do you move the dance floor? How do you get the dance floor on? Like, what, like, does it have to have its own house? Does it have, you know, like, what is the mechanism system? Where are we storing this? And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, wait a minute. What if we did like a four inch thick Lucite pool bottom that's on like pistons that are going to be like literally drilled like piers under the pool and it'll raise. And then it's like the engineering comes out and you're like, okay, but we don't want any fingers getting trapped and we don't need to, you know, so then it comes down to like all the things that you have to think about in order to make something safe. So for said Lucite pool bottom, it had this like half inch reveal that it would like displace the water and to actually have this like, lucite pool bottom raise it would take like 45 minutes to get it up into place but once it did all the water would have displaced underneath it and it would slide up and by the time it reached the pool level it would meet tight to the side of the pool without the gap and so therefore like no one would lose a you know tennis ball or a finger or you know like have something get trapped underneath it so it was really like okay you want a pool, like a, like a dance floor on your pool and you want to see the lights underneath, you know, it's like, take those ideas and then how do you implement them into design? So to answer your question, it's like, yes, there are like so many cool things now that are just like market ready that you can enjoy your exterior with. But there are also these kind of innovative cool things that we get challenged to like come up with by our clients which then like foster a whole new like market of product much like this raising pool bottom which i have seen like patios that do that like sure. there is a company that makes like the raising stone mm -hmm. but i haven't seen anyone come out with the lucite one so maybe i'll get on that maybe you should and you know what, for, for your client in Wisconsin, maybe it's not a dance floor, but you know, you bring it up for the winter and there's your, there's your hockey rink. Exactly. Oh, you are speaking to my son right now. It's coming. Yep. It's coming. <laughs> right. 
totally. This has been really, really fun. I've enjoyed uh, speaking with you, and um, well, I love the um, yeah. I, I love the way you started talking about you know the quote unquote challenges with with traditional or classic education, which I I had very similar experiences with, you know, I was not good at memorization and regurgitation because I was very much a free thinker. And, and, and I'm glad that today's education system much more than when, you know, and I'm older than you, but much more, more than we were kids truly understands that there is IQ and EQ and that the EQ, whether it's, you know, the artist, the sculptor, the, the athlete, the, is not, is not a, a subset of the quote unquote normal kids there. It, it's really, I'm glad that our world is, is going this way and that creative expression today and, and problem solving and, and creativity and ingenuity is as or more valuable than traditional IQ. Certainly when I look for, uh, you know, for team members to join, I'm always looking at the, you know, the problem solving, the resourcefulness, the creativity, the, you know, working on something till I'm sweating and my fingers are bleeding, but loving every second of it, as you described in your first piece of furniture. So I, I love hearing this and it's very aligned with me and, and it's, it's what, it's what inspires me to as well, you know, never hit that ceiling as you referred there's always another level and the beauty of design and technology and just overall progress means that we really don't have to settle and that's a really yeah. nice thing to know that we can be we can constantly keep going vertical and that's a that's a nice position to be in professionally well, and I also think like, and thank you so much for having me. Like, this has really been fun to chat with you. You're so kind with all of your compliments. I'm like, ooh, blushing. But um, I'm, Cana I'm Canadian. Yeah, well, <laughs> we love Canadians. So I also think like this is this time in our world right now is that time for exploration. And I think people will like naturally gravitate to the things that they are meant to do if they have the opportunity in a moment to kind of like think about it and to do it. So I don't know. I think that, um, yeah, design is design has been my passion, my life's work. And there's not a day that goes by that I'm not like doing something or like making someone crazy. This is Ryan Bloom. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the fireside chat with really cool designer, Allison Pickard. I learned a lot about her story, her experience, and what has led her and driven her to be the type of progressive designer that she is today. Thanks so much for joining. Please follow us on LinkedIn, YouTube. Join our audience. Join our conversation. And if you'd like to follow us on Instagram, at Urban Bonfire, we always want to hear from you and get feedback and questions so we can bring the most relevant content to the design community and the audience. Thanks. See you next time.